Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio, show number 434, the NHS People Plan and the People Promise. Today we're going to be talking about just that, the NHS People Plan and the People Promise, including about making the NHS the best place to work and encouraging a more passionate, compassionate and inclusive culture. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I work within the Engage Success core team in the Engage Success movement, which is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is John Drew, who's Director of Staff Experience and Engagement at NHS Improvement. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Thank you. And at very short notice, our uh, original uh, guest uh, couldn't make it. And uh, we met last week at a health and wellbeing event, didn't we? And uh, you very kindly said you'd uh, come along if we had any cancellations. So I think we we sort of made that happen, do you think? <laughs> yeah, maybe I should be careful what I say. But I did, I did and very happy to be here. <laughs> Lovely. So start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do at NHS Improvement. Sure. So, uh, as you said, my role is a director of staff experience and engagement, uh, and that's a, a national role looking really at the overall policy and direction uh, and what we can do to improve uh, staff experience and engagement. Uh, and that includes uh, the health and well-being brief, which has been obviously a, an area of real focus during the pandemic. Um, an area that's developed a lot, actually, uh, because of that, really, because of the focus and the resources, the investment that we've been able to make during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the, there's a core staff engagement team, which um, looks after how we listen to staff, primarily through an annual uh, staff survey, whose results actually come out this week. Um, but then also during the pandemic, we've introduced some additional ways, including a monthly pulse survey uh, that organisations can opt into. Uh, and uh, I also work a lot on the delivery of the people plan, which we'll come on to talk about, I'm sure. And at the moment, quite a big focus for me personally on the workforce aspects of the elective recovery. So how we make sure that we have the workforce we need to be able to um, address the backlog of care that has arisen uh, because of certain services being paused during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we just briefly said before we came on air, uh, I was questioning the, the sort of title of staff experience and engagement. That's something that's come in in sort of recent years, the, the, the concept of staff experience. And we just sort of started to briefly talk about what, what we might see as the difference or the similarities or, or why we've got both of those terms now. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, they're probably not very precisely formed, but I'm going to give you a view, which is that uh, staff engagement is quite a well-evidenced uh, construct, um, and, and it is obviously what we would we would hope that people that come to work are engaged. And the way we measure that uh, through the staff survey is a set of questions that cover three areas. So one is your core motivation, so the 
pretty much the first question in the staff surveys is a statement saying, I look forward to coming to work, which you could argue sums up pretty much everything. Then there's a set of questions around involvement, which is your ability to kind of make change happen in the workplace. And then there's a set of questions about advocacy, including I'd recommend this as a place to work. So those nine questions are how we define engagement. And I think in the literature and research, that would be fairly consistent. I think experience is much broader. It's kind of what is it like to work here? Uh, you, know, you could say the good, the bad and the ugly, but it's all sorts of other things too. Um, do you feel included? Do you feel that you belong? Um, uh, do you feel supported at work? Have you got the flexibility that you're looking for to balance other things that are important to you in your life? Do you feel that you're paid fairly? Do you feel that you um, have opportunities to develop to your potential? So I think experience is, is much wider. Um, and, uh, and really what we're trying to do, and uh, we'll come on to talk about this in the, the People Promise, is uh, play back what staff have told us matters the most to them and then uh, work in quite a deliberate way to say, how do we influence the things that you've told us matter most to you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another thing just as, in terms of sort of positioning is you're in an interesting position in terms of uh, your role within the NHS and the NHS being a whole collection of sort of individual organisations as well. How, how does that sort of work from your perspective? Yeah, good question. I, I think that um, I'm learning on this because most, most of our experience at work is shaped by the people that we work with day to day, isn't it? So if you're part of a mm -hmm. team, um, you know, your experience will be by and large shaped by that team and perhaps disproportionately by the, the leader or the manager of the team. In many cases in the NHS, of course, the, the manager is a clinical colleague, uh, but not in every case by any means. Um, and so that the, the things that will make the most difference are by and large set locally. So within any organization, any NHS trust like a community services organization or a large hospital say you'll have people that on the same site are having very different experiences and, and that's normal and to be expected uh, so I think that helping teams and managers to work together more effectively uh, is actually in a way the key way of improving experience uh, after that, you, you certainly get into the, the way organizations are structured. So it could be within a department or a division. And then ultimately, of course, in the NHS, it's the board that is responsible for uh, that organization. Um, so you, you could argue then what is there left to address nationally? And I think a lot of that is then about uh, the policies and the approaches that we take. Sometimes it's about finding something that works really well. So I've been discussing with colleagues today some work on the just and um, the just culture that was developed by Mersey Care, um, an NHS organisation um, in uh, the Merseyside area, and we've been working with them so that our national team has been working with that organisation to see how we can scale up some of what's working there through an approach to what we're calling civility and respect, essentially uh, the opposite of bullying and harassment. So how do we encourage organisations to develop cultures that? characterized by kindness towards each other, really. Hmm. Um, so that's one area. I think there's things like the, there are some things that are best done nationally, like the staff survey. 
Um, and uh, some of it is also about the way we measure things. Uh, you know, the NHS has got quite a strong performance orientation, lots of data that tells us how we're doing. So how do we make sure that some of that data is around people and their experience and that we're interpreting that alongside um, other information? But, it, but essentially what I would say is that the, the thing that will make the most difference to the one and a half million people working in the NHS is improvements to their, uh, the team that they're part of and the way their line manager works with them. Uh, and it's important for us to be able to recognize that and not become too reliant on thinking the answer is a national intervention. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for explaining that. So let, let's talk about the, the people plan and, and the people promise. So we are talking sort of national now, but you know, tell us more about that and then we can sort of think about how that then relates into those individual organizations you know, a bit later on. Yeah, so the the people plan um, is really the the strategy for uh, people and workforce in the NHS and was launched actually during the pandemic, so July of 2020, which you might say isn't ideal timing. Um, And it built on a previous piece of work called the interim uh, people plan. And the the goal really is to achieve three things that are related to each other. And it, it, it can be summarized in a single sentence, which is it's about more people working differently in a compassionate and inclusive culture covers the traditional focus on workforce which tends to be uh, as i say about how many people we've got Uh, that's the more people the working differently is really about how we find new and different ways of delivering services and working together increasingly i would say in teams and across professions for the benefit of the patient could be about working more effectively along a pathway of care Uh, or across different organizational boundaries. And then the last part, I think, where we know we have work to do, and this was partly what led to the inception of the People Plan, is how do we make sure that the context that we're working in is a compassionate and inclusive culture, so where people feel well supported, uh, respected. uh, And I think we we learned a lot during the pandemic also about where there were longstanding issues to do with diversity and inclusion, Uh, particularly along racial lines with the way the pandemic in the early stages affected um, black and Asian uh, colleagues more. Uh, And um, so those three things are uh, the outcomes, if you like. And Mm -hmm. as I say, they're connected because if we don't have enough people working in the NHS, that means there's uh, a greater workload being carried by the existing staff. And that can translate into issues to do with uh, health and well-being or being off work due to illness. Um, so, you know, addressing them together, I think is much more likely to give us a, uh, a sort of sustainable outcome in terms of the NHS, not just being a great place to work, but the workload being sustainable and it being rewarding uh, and meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And how have things changed through the pandemic? There's obviously been lots of sort of publicity, you know, about the the, the you know the the efforts and the sacrifices and everything that the the people in the NHS have 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 made because of the challenges um and it, it must have just been such a difficult time the whole way through and and still now um to to sort of um you know be responsible for 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 engagement within the organization and so on but you know what 
you said that the, the people plan came in in the, the summer of 2020. I, I guess that had been in the planning for a long time. So it wasn't because of the pandemic, but obviously it made some sort of made it more important, I guess, at the time. Tell us more about that. I think it did make it more important uh, that, you know, it was, I think, setting out a strong agenda on how we need to look after people, ensure we're building um, an environment where people of, of all backgrounds feel they can belong and contribute. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the emphasis I've put on finding new ways of working and making sure we're growing the workforce to meet demand. So all of that was in it. Um, I think many people would have not noticed, you know, because we were focused on other things, particularly uh, caring for patients with COVID at the time. But although some services were paused, most were not. So I think your opening comment is right, that it has been a really difficult time. I mean, it, it's I think it's that a period of extraordinary demand on people that are used to working very hard and putting the patient first, but having been through mm -hmm. multiple cycles of, you know, waves of the pandemic where, uh, although I think we knew from an early stage there were likely to be multiple waves, you kind of brace yourself for one and then once you're through it, you hope there'll be some kind of relief and then the next one starts. And although mm -hmm. now we might many of us would, would maybe feel that we're through the pandemic. I think actually what you're left with is the cumulative impact of what people have been through. And in many cases, not all, but in many cases, a real sense of uh, exhaustion, actually, and, uh, yeah. and, and, and tiredness. So, I mean, that, that's the sort of the, the, the toll it's taken, if you like. But I think it's also true to say that there have been um, some really good things that have come out of, uh, the pandemic in people terms. I think that just the way people have demonstrated amazing flexibility and willingness to work together in quite different ways. Um, and m many people that work in the NHS would say that there was a, a different sense of uh, permission of, you know, you, you couldn't do, you couldn't organize everything or decide everything centrally. So there was a, a difference between uh, deciding nationally what needs to be done, but then giving us quite a lot of local discretion to figure out exactly how that would happen. And I mm. think that, that uh, many people, I think, really warm to that. Um, and, and I think that perhaps the biggest single thing is just that there was a much greater focus on people. And uh, that arguably was long overdue, but a real focus on the fact that the NHS in the end is a people business, if you like. It's the delivery of care uh, to patients and users, and that is done as personal. It's done from people to people and work, people working together in teams. So I think we've seen in ways that might sound a bit mundane, but um, the, the people agenda is, I think, much more prominent and, and is seen yeah. to be an absolutely integral part of the overall strategy and priorities of the NHS in a way that feels different. Mm. It's really interesting because I remember years ago we had the, an organisation talk to us at the, in Engage Success and say that they'd they'd got this sort of I don't know if they called it their people plan or, or whatever it was but they were sort of putting it to one side because they had a load of restructuring to do and there were all these challenges in the organisation and we were sort of head in hands saying well now is when you need your engagement plan not don't put it to one side whilst you sort of deal with all this stuff and then come back to it later and. It's sort of a bit, I suppose, a bit glib to say with, with the scenario that you were in, but I can't imagine how implementing something so 
important and large within organization how 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 you could do that whilst everyone was focusing on an external challenge um as much as they were sort of thing but clearly it was the thing to do and and from what you've said that that's what really made it work and it truly is a people plan that has been designed to improve the working environment within the NHS and I guess you know that's that's what you want of, of such things but often people plans just become or people strategies become like a, an add-on rather than integral to what's happening so you, you you've probably you know had that like massive challenge that I guess you didn't have a choice but but you know you did use the plan to help get through that really challenging time um I think that's right it's actually interesting your comment that we didn't have a choice I think that is um that kind of cuts both ways doesn't it because people generally yeah. want to have a choice and feel there's a sense of control in this and I, I would say that uh, by and large including for me in my job it felt like we were kind of hanging on it was a bit of a white knuckle ride uh, that yeah. you wouldn't necessarily have chosen but the uh, there's, a, there's an old sort of od organizational development framework that's that talks about three stages of unfreeze transform refreeze uh, i think edgar shine and i'm not sure whether there would be people that would probably say that that's other work has been done since that that um, builds on it or it's a bit outdated but i i kept thinking about that actually and, and and felt that the pandemic was like a big unfreezing process i mean not just for yeah. organizations or the nhs but the world in general and, and i think mm. what that did is it, it opened up the possibility of making changes happen uh, and uh you know we, the word transformation might be a bit grand but i think it increased the the sort of necessity and the willingness, the openness to try different things because we didn't really know what to do at the beginning. Mm. Um, and uh, arguably, it would have been difficult for that to have achieved, been achieved any other way. So uh, I, I, I certainly think that um, there, was, there was real opportunity in this. But equally, I mean, I, I met recently with a group of people that worked in, usually work in operating theatres, and many of them, because of the skills they have, were asked to work in critical care instead at the very beginning uh, when the pressure on critical care, as you know, was enormous. And so yeah. that, that's pretty stressful. And then those same people are now going back to work in operating theatres where um, there's a lot of work to be done on recovering the waiting list for elective care. So there's, there's kind of no let up there, uh, arguably, for mm -hmm. those people. And so I certainly wouldn't want to paint a picture that it's been kind of great for everyone because it's, it certainly hasn't. But organizationally, I think as a way of um, opening our eyes to different ways of doing things and what might be possible, uh, as well as, as I've said, the need to just look after people really well, I think has been quite powerful. Mm -hmm. So for you sort of personally in, in your role, what, what do you see as the things that you can do to, to, to help make these changes for, for staff within the NHS? Um, I think perhaps the, the key thing is just to, as I've said before, establish the people agenda as fundamental, intrinsic to everything else we're trying to do. Mm. Uh, I, I would say that, I mean, you've mentioned it too, that in many organisations, the people agenda is seen as a little bit parallel. You know, there's, um, there's the kind of the way the business is run, which is often quite 
strong performance orientation. I think in the NHS for a long time, there has, you know, arguably rightly been a focus on some of the key outcomes like waiting lists, like um, the waiting times in A&E, uh, as well as on quality. So there's, there's lots of emphasis in different ways on quality, on activity, on finance. Um, but the people agenda, which I'd say is almost like the fourth uh, element of a balanced approach to running an organization, has been somehow, I think, a bit lesser. And it, and it tends to have focused on have we got enough people. Um, and we, we know that the NHS is short of the full complement of people it needs. But actually, you mm -hmm. also mentioned at the very beginning that your organization exists because often the gap to people achieving their full potential is much, much bigger. Uh, and, and I would say the NHS in rough numbers is about 5% short of the full complement it needs, but it's probably only halfway. And, and, you know, I've seen this in work I've done with teams over the years, roughly halfway to people feeling like they're achieving their full potential. So I think part of what the people directorate is here for and the people profession is making sure that we've got a seat at the table and you know we're not making important strategic decisions without really considering not just have we got enough people but what will the impact on people be of this how do we make sure they're as engaged as possible because i think we also know that building engagement is also about building trust and if there's trust between the leadership of an organization and the staff then many other things are possible that wouldn't be uh, if that trust were not there and particularly things mm -hmm. like innovating how we work working more effectively, more productively, all of that becomes easier when there's trust and engagement. So mm -hmm. I would say everything else that I'm trying to do in my job is, uh, is, is contributing to that. So things like redesigning mm -hmm. our staff survey to align with the elements of the people promise, that becomes then a way of measuring staff experience in a more robust way that can be put alongside, as I said, other measures of performance. Mm-hmm. So um, I was about to then say what's going well, and I guess we're, we, our timing is not that great because your engagement survey results are coming out this week. <laughs> They're not yet out, are they? So, uh, but uh, you know, what, what, what is going well currently? Um, I think the increased focus on people that I've come back to a number of times, I think that something there has really changed. And mm -hmm. I think what's important now is that we keep it there. So it doesn't, it's not just something that came and went um, with a global pandemic, but is, it changes our habits. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think having uh, the, the, the people promise that I've mentioned quite a few times, there's, there's seven themes within it that are the things that staff told us matter most to them so one of the themes for example says we are safe and healthy so people say that that's what we want to be able to say is true about our experience and then we've been working hard during the, the pandemic to put in place a more preventive approach to health and well-being uh, based on um, things like health and well-being conversations that routinely take place within teams usually between uh, a team leader or a line manager and the member of staff so that um, things that are important to that person that might might actually um, lie outside the workplace. So it could be to do with um, financial worries in their family. It could be to do with um, caring for somebody. You know, the, 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 at least the team is aware of those and can do as much as possible to accommodate them. So mm -hmm. I think having uh, having a, a rigorous way of describing 
uh, what we're trying to create in terms of people's day-to-day experience. And then, as I say, a way of measuring it that the staff survey has had its most extensive uh, redesign this year for probably 10 years or more, and I think is now much more coherent. So uh, making sure that that is used as a source of insight for lots of other things. And, and as I say, not just seen as a kind of thing that HR or the people profession might use, but yeah. um, if, if we're considering a change or if we're wondering how we can improve a service for patients, we should be looking at what the staff survey is telling us because there's, there's always a lot of insight in there and the way you can analyze it really helps mm. you get down to um, specifics. So mm. I, th- I think a lot of, uh, there's a lot of momentum, I suppose I would say, and a lot of attention. And what's important is that we turn that into um, the, the, the best we can do to really work with people to change and improve things so that uh, as we come out of this phase, uh, there's a, a sort of an optimism about what could come, uh, you know, what's next to come rather than mm-hmm. a, a sense of fatigue that it's more of the same. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned um, sort of pre- preventative um, stuff around the sort of well-being and, and at the event last week we had um, some people speaking um, in the same session as you around a focus on presenteeism as opposed to just focusing on absenteeism, which I thought was was brilliant. I, you know, I've, I've thought about it a lot since that, uh, you know, that they were saying that people coming to work when they shouldn't is, is actually sort of worse than not, not having people coming to work sort of thing, weren't they, in terms of effects and so on. And I, that just, I, I just love that that's what's being focused on. It, from your perspective, why is that important? Ultimately, I think it's actually important for um, patient safety. I mean, if you think mm. if you're, you know, if you're tired when you're driving, um, it's important to stop because you're a risk to yourself and other people if you don't. And, and I think mm. similarly, if you're worn out at work um, or if you're unwell and shouldn't be there, uh, there's a, you know, there is a, a risk to patients if we don't get that right. And I think one of the, mm. you know, the, the, peculiarities of the NHS and healthcare is that people are so um, driven and focused on trying to do the right thing for patients that they'll often override some of the warning signs. And we know there's a question in the staff survey saying, have you come to work when you felt unwell in the last three months? And well, you might think this is shocking, but that that runs at about 92%. So in other words, virtually virtually everybody Mm. says that I've come to work in the last three months when I didn't feel well enough to. Um, mm. So the level of presenteeism is high, uh, partly mm. because people's commitment to patients is extraordinarily high, uh, yeah. and, and to their colleagues, because I think people feel, well, if I'm not there, uh, that's going to leave uh, other people to kind of carry more, uh, and they, you know, on balance, I think I'll go to work. So mm. um, yeah, mm. I, I think it's absolutely right that we need to be looking at the root cause of uh, what causes people to be at work and not at work and working on some of those factors rather than sort of trying to manage sickness absence as a metric, if you like. It's an outcome yeah. of other things. It's not the target. No, no, exactly. It's, it's such a sort of double-edged sword, isn't it? As you say, that to have people who care so much is, is so important, but has you know negative impacts potentially for, for themselves and other people as well. So we've just got a couple of minutes. Um, what, what's the hardest thing at the moment? 
Uh, I think the sense of uh, the relentless operational pressure um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, in a way, the, the expectations, political and just as citizens on the NHS, um, this, yeah. the, it, it feels like there's always too much to do and the demand, if you like, for healthcare keeps rising. So I think that trying to do all of this in that environment um, and, you know, and wanting to make a real difference and not let people down because all of us know people uh, related to people have friends that work in the NHS and, you know, uh, a lot of them will, will say that they're feeling uh, tired and, um, and, you know, sort of where's this heading. So I think mm -hmm. in that environment, uh, you know, I would say that for myself and probably many others that work on topics like uh, engagement, um, part of me is quite idealistic. So I think it's quite hard to balance that sense of wanting to make a real difference with the day-to-day -day reality and, and, and trying to get uh, reconcile those two, I suppose, be, mm. um, be doing the very best we can, but not getting too disheartened if it, if it feels like um, it's not easy to see measurable change quickly because of, you know, mm. most of these things are going to take time, but they're worth getting right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've come to the end. It's gone so quickly. Thank you so much, John, for joining me. It's been such an interesting conversation. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. And just to let you know, next week uh, we've got uh, Leila Zafar, who's Office Manager of Living Well, and she's coming to speak to Andy Gorham about encouraging staff back into the office after the pandemic. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.